0: welcome to the access church podcast grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon uh next week is going to be awesome we have uh two baptisms and lunch so we're eating and we're baptizing those are two things that we enjoy doing so just a heads up on that and then also next week we launch our youth ministry andrew back there is going to be hanging out with middle school students Is it two weeks? Two weeks! So clap for two weeks, not next week, two weeks. (laughs) I'm glad you told me that, otherwise, yeah, so, uh, awesome. Um, Hey, uh, in groups this week, we're talking about different things, and uh, I know a lot of, how many of you guys use apps for, like, Bible verses, prayer, things like that, a few of you? Carmen came up with an awesome one that, instantly in our group, like, that is really good. What's the name of the app? Prayer Minder, really cool app, and how do you use it as far as just, it's not just a reminder, but you can like put categories and And it just keeps reminding you you set those categories. So yeah. 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 And it yeah, one of the better prayer things. I know you could set it to your phone and just do a, a little bell reminder, but this is really organized and things like that. So prayer reminder, So um hopefully maybe this week that'll encourage you. All right, I'm gonna pray. We'll we'll jump into this. Jesus, thank you so much um, that you don't just talk about love, but that you show it and you help define it because everybody has their opinions, but many times we miss the mark of what real true love is in a relationship. And I pray today we would learn about your love, that we could really receive it. Because some of us, God, we struggle with receiving love. It's too intimate, it's too hard, um, it's humbling. And so I pray today that we'd have hearts that would receive love because that's when we can really love our family friends even people we don't like we can love them lord uh when we understand your love for us so uh, i pray you would equip us as a church uh as we look at the cross and the power of that cross in your name jesus amen uh you know love is one of those words it's it's by far the most important thing in life um it's something that almost all songs are written about either the beauty of it or the pain of it right um it's something that all great movies are about. Even an action movie, they throw in a kiss while the bombs are going off, you know? Yeah. You know just, yeah, it's just like, we have an action movie and we're just gonna throw two people and after they're dirty and they just got blown up and they hug each other and kiss, it's like, all right. But they throw it, in. there's something about that. Even as cheesy as that is, right? There's, there's something in the human spirit. We, we seek it. And what's interesting is it's, it's who God is and he's the very thing that we avoid. But he's the most loving thing in our world. It also shows that we're creating God's image. doesn't mean that we reflect him perfectly. We're broken glass, so we don't reflect him really well. But he heals broken glass and makes what is broken and heals it so it can see clearly, right, and reflect him clearly. That's what he does for us. But we see we're creating his image because um, God is love. That's what 1 John 4, 8. God is the definition of love. So if you don't get God, you don't get love. And if you don't get love, you're going to have a difficult life. Because I would venture to say that no matter how much money you make, no matter how fit you are, no matter what good health you have, no matter what, um, if you get all your dreams of accumulating the cars and the things, if you lack love, then you really lack fulfillment in life. And people that don't have all those things, but they have really good loving relationships, they have more than anyone else in the world. We see the embodiment of this type of love as we end Luke why the gospels, they end with the cross. And I want to talk about what the cross represents. Um, we're going to pick up in Luke 23 and verse 44. Um, when we pick up in this passage, you've got to remember that Jesus has been up for several hours now, arrested in the middle of the evening. And, and, and we're going to see where in Luke 23, 44, it says, it was about noon And darkness came over, probably a little bit more like 2 or 3 o'clock is what it was, the actual Greek word there. And so uh, he has been arrested, he's been interrogated, and he's been beaten for hours and hours and hours. And it says, during this time, darkness came over the whole land until 3 in the afternoon. And so there was something supernatural about the weather that was going on. there was something that we see that when supernatural things are happening, it can intersect with the natural world. That God is both supernatural and he's evolved in the natural, right? And so this cosmic thing is happening where um, it's affecting our world. The sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. When you read this, you can be like, that's a random thing. So there's some temple and the curtain torn in two. Like, is that a big deal? That is a big deal in a couple of ways. One, it was a humongous curtain. And this was in the temple. The temple was divided into two sections. And the back of the temple is called the Holy of Holies. And this is something that God mandated uh, centuries and centuries before as far as that's where the presence of God would dwell. They had this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. It's like a super spiritual treasure chest. That's all, that's all it is, right? If you saw, uh, what's the uh, movie? Indiana Jones, right? Something like that. But that he actually, on this covenant, God wanted them to make it where there was a, 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 like a seat called the seat of mercy. And he wanted them to be reminded of how much God forgives them. It was important for Israel to understand. That's why they had the Old Testament where they would sacrifice the animals. Because in order for justice to be complete, when you do rebellious things, God says the penalty is death. Well, God didn't want to kill the people he created. So they'd sacrifice animals. But even in the New Testament, God said that that really never satisfied justice. There would need to be a greater lamb. That was Jesus. And so this, this temple, it was very significant to the Jewish nation. And uh, once a year, the high priest would go in, and they would, he would do the ceremony thing, and sprinkle blood and all that kind of stuff. So the significance of this, one is uh, the curtain was 60 feet wide so maybe a little bit longer than here. 30 feet, so about twice as big it goes up. That's how big the room was. And it was four inches thick of material, straight material. Boom, 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 boom. Pretty significant that it tore in half. But also what that represented was that there was no longer separation now between God and man. And that's why Hebrews would say, Jesus is our high priest. You're seeing how the New Testament ties in saying, The the high priestess would go in there, but it wasn't enough, a savior, a pure animal that had no, just no uh, impurities with them, right? That would be Jesus. That would come and that was what would satisfy the justice and the anger of God for our rebellion. And so when that tore into both God's love and God's justice, both of them were fulfilled and we were unified with God, nothing separated us. God used to dwell in the temple. And what does the New Testament say? That now we are the temple and God dwells in us. That's the significance of when you read that. So that tore two, And Hebrews 10, 19, uh, 22 uh, through 22 signifies this. Let me just read this real quick because it attaches. Hebrews really attaches a lot to the Gospels. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus but now no longer a high priest once a year can go in there. Now we have confidence you can approach God at any time. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to uh, have someone represent you. That's, that's why we don't do that anymore. Nobody represents you. Only it's you and Jesus, and Jesus represents you to the Father. So it's the blood of Jesus that allows us to do this. By a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. You see in the symbolism here? And since we have a great, priest over the house of God that's Jesus since we know this let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled we are the temple having our hearts sprinkled that's they used to sprinkle blood on the ark of the covenant now that's your heart Jesus blood is sprinkled on you're forgiven cuz life was given in place of yours having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So now it makes sense. That's how it all ties in. So this is happening. Jesus is doing this in the midst of being on the cross. All these things are happening. that are significant. And Jesus' last words were this in verse 46 of Luke 23. Jesus called out with a loud voice. These are his last words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Just so you know... That is prophesied in Psalm 31, 1 through 5, where David writes that, and those words were uttered. And just, you know, every word that's uttered on the cross is from the Old Testament. It's not just Jesus saying random things. He's saying these things on purpose. And so he's saying that I commit my spirit into your hands, that I'm going to love these people. Check this out. I'm not committing my spirit into their hands. They're killing him, but they have no control over him. People can do things to you, but they have no control over you if you've entrusted your life to Jesus. We run frantically and with anxiety when you try to please people rather than please God. We are filled with worry and pressure when you love, but you're loving with expectations. Rather, I'm loving just because I trust Jesus and this is what He's called me to do. That's why for many of us, when I talk about love, it's difficult for us because. For many of us, we talk about how we love, well, I'd like to be loved, but very few people love us that way. Or we look at our own lives, and it's tough for us to love that way. The expectations we have, we don't love others. Jesus is our example of love. So he's loving them because the Father's called him to go to the cross. Did Jesus, was he super excited? Did anybody read chapter 22? Yeah, when it says he's sweating blood. I don't know if any of you have been so nervous, like you're going in for a job interview, so nervous, and blood starts coming out. Probably not, right? You have sweat, you sweat, but when blood comes out, that's a whole other... This was something that he did out of obedience that was good for you and bad for him. It was good for you. It was bad for him. Now he entrusted himself that through this bad thing, God would bring something good out. Have you seen that in your life? Where it's bad for you, but God brings good out of it so Jesus entrusted his spirit, saying, you're going to be the one to resurrect. Now I'm going down, and I'm entrusting you, but it's for their good. When he said this, he breathed his last breath. The centurion, this is the same one that's been beaten and spitting and mocking him for hours. What would change the mind of a Roman soldier? And just so you know, this, this device of the cross was invented by pretty much Rome, or at least they mastered it. We won't give them credit for starting it. They mastered it. And this is for criminals. This is for people that they just despise. And the Romans looked down on the Jewish people. They're weak. They have no military. They didn't consider them smart. And as long as they paid their taxes, they kind of left them alone. They didn't pay their taxes. We're going to beat you up. This centurion is someone who's esteemed. He's over many, many, many men, right? He's esteemed in that culture. A centurion was someone that they would retire in the best places along the Mediterranean. Why would this guy respect just some guy that says, I'm the king of the Jews, been spit and been beaten? What would change his mind? Would it be a debate where she's on the cross and be like, let me, let me walk through you the, the, the Old Testament, and how it attaches? Could he debate him in to seeing who he is? Could he do it through intellect? No, he had to do it through sacrificial love. That when he entrusted himself to God, that that would open up the eyes of people more through his sacrificial love than trying to. Debate. When the centurion saw this, seeing what happened, praised God and said, Surely this is a righteous man. The power of sacrificial love is that it's usually received in retrospect, not in the moment. And that's why it's tough for us because we like to love and we want immediate feedback. I said, Thank you. You better say, You're welcome. Or I'm going to keep that love from you because you didn't acknowledge my good at, right? We do it in small ways, right? Why do we get frustrated as parents? Because I'm investing, I'm losing sleep, I've lost hair, I've done, right? I was good looking before you came into this world, right? You ruined all the, right? And we want immediate feedback. And when they're five, six, seven, anybody get quick where they're like, I see the love. I saw that when I was asleep that you came in and did this and that you took... No? Yeah, it doesn't happen, right? It takes years and years. (laughs) And then they look back being like, oh, mom, oh, right? The sacrificial love. But why does the mom do that? Why does the dad do that? In hopes of what is good for them, that they're producing someone that will be able to trust Jesus, live life well, have good, healthy relationships. But I don't get immediate feedback. This is the picture of love. And whatever you define love as, I, it's important that you understand what, how God defines love. Have you ever been in a relationship where you define love one way, they define it another, and you're kind of missing each other, right? Maybe you're one of those kind of love language people where you're acts of service, but the person's a person who likes to give gifts. And you're like, stop giving me gifts. Clean the freaking dishes, and I love you, right? You know, like, I, I don't need another ring. Clean the dishes, and you got my heart. Well, this person's thinking that's what I want. I would want gifts This person right? And when we go into a relationship with Jesus, just, you know, if you have a relationship with Jesus or you're thinking about it, you've got to approach it not from, well, this is what I would do if I was God because he could care less and you're not God. It's really important that you understand this is how God considers love. Not only is that important for you in this life, but it's important for your salvation. And this is how he defines it. The picture of love is this. We're going to put it up here. And if if you're a note taker, it's just one point today, really easy. I'm making it easy on you guys. But one point today, the picture of love is entrusting yourself, there we go, entrusting yourself to God to do what is good for people, not what they want or like. Not one person asked Jesus to go to the cross. In fact, when he told them I'm going to go to the cross for your sins, they're like, ah, no, don't do that. Many of us have a very shallow love because we love based off what people expect of us rather than what God commands us. Love is not appreciated in this world. Jesus said, if you love like me, the world will hate you. They won't get you. Why would you speak truth in a relationship? Just shut your mouth. We all have sins. Because the Bible says, no, if there's truth to be spoken, real love speaks truth. Not your truth that the world says. The truth which means if you're a loving person, you're going to seek God's truth, not your own personal inner truth. That's a lie. I'm going to speak God's truth. But love also sometimes is quiet and listens. Jesus showed this love because a lot of times he listened to people more than he spoke. He'd ask questions and he would listen. When you study Jesus, you're studying love. When you read the Bible, you're reading love. When you read the letters that tell how the church to live out, you're reading love. Anytime you obey, you are loving. Obedience is love. But what love, when it's really sacrificial and pure, it's when it's done because I'm entrusting myself to God, not to people, and I'm doing, and I'm saying, and I'm serving in a way that's good for them, even if it's at a detriment to me. Not because of what they want. or Now, at times they might want or like what you're doing, sacrificially. But that's not our primary motive. This is really hard, you guys. This is really hard. Again, because most people in the moment, if you're doing what is good for them, it's maybe not what they want. I don't know about you guys, but I've been a part of uh, a few, um, uh, what do you call it, when people get together and confront each other? I'm blanking. Not confrontation. You guys are horrible. Intervention, thank you. Yeah, I've been a part of a few interventions. Um, drugs, alcohol, sometimes just uh, situations where people are out of control of their behavior, out of damaging their family. I have not done one intervention where someone's like, in the moment, hey, good insight, I am being an idiot. <laughs> High five, everybody, thanks. Thanks, mom, thanks, dad, and I don't even know you. Thanks, you, you know, thanks for coming. Nobody does that. I don't know if when you've had confrontation in the moment, most of the time, those aren't just people like, yeah, thanks for humiliating me. That's awesome, right? Thanks for exposing me and all the things that I do. Thank you. Anything, anything more? Is there more you get? Does that ever... Anybody? Does that ever happen, right? But almost all the time in these interventions, two days later, two months later, two years later, I get the email... I get the phone call. I get the visit being like, the best thing that ever happened. I still have my family. I still have my life. I'm still walking with Jesus. And how unloving to keep truth because you're scared of what they think of you. Many times we seek a false peace and call it love, and you're actually hating somebody. Notice the centurion did not recognize Jesus until after he died, not in the midst. You will die to yourself, and it will be later that people recognize it, whether it's in your family, in your marriage, at work, or on the missions field, or if you do ministry, even in church. People sometimes don't want to be loved the way, and they can't take it and they'll leave, and that's okay. We're patient, we pray, and wait for them to come back to receive. It's the app, and that's okay. I'm not doing it for people. I'm entrusting myself to him. And here's the thing. I don't have to defend myself then when someone accuses me. If I'm loving the way God called me. Now, sometimes we get accused, and we're not loving the way God's called us to. It's a, it's, a right, it's a right accusation. We're being mean. We're being self. But when I'm saying, Lord, what do you want for this person? When I parent saying, Not what my kid wants. Lord, what do you want for them this year as a six-year-old, 10-year-old? I entrust, because I don't know if my kid's going to like me. (laughs) But I entrust myself. And they hit the teenagers. Lord, this is not looking good. And God's like, trust me. Trust the process. Stay prayerful. Stay humble. Model to them forgiveness. Keep serving them. Keep disciplining them. I entrust myself to him. And so my fears go away saying, no, the Lord's got them. Does that make sense? It was 20, I believe 26 years, over 25 years later, I got a phone call from a young man named Mike. Mike, I haven't seen you in over 25 years. Hey, can we get breakfast? Usually when someone wants to meet for me for breakfast, it's bad. Right? So I'm like, okay, right? Because they got something bad, they want to meet with me, they haven't seen me, you know, need to talk. All right, so I'm expecting... Preparing, like, all right, we're going to do some counseling. We're going to get in you know, like this. So I'm going to help him, you know, so we show up. So he goes, just want to say thank you. I haven't seen you 25 years. I don't know what you're thanking me for, you know. Well, Mike and I had a rough relation when he was in youth group. He had a very tumultuous home life. He made life difficult in our youth group. But I never responded in anger like his dad. I never yelled at him like his dad. I was firm, kicked him out of youth group a couple times. And yeah, you can't do that. We'd love to have you back, but not tonight. But when I did that, I'd also take him out to lunch that week. He was a very difficult kid to be around. Very difficult, lied, hard heart, didn't receive anything, never said thank you, buy lunch, no thank you. Probably didn't even like that I took him out to lunch. In that moment, it's easy to give up. In that moment, you'd be like, you smug little You're going to be, it's easy to think that. But just be like, God, get this guy, get this guy, get this guy. Well, God got him. It was 24 years later. Holy Spirit convicted him while driving the truck. Starts crying. This dude doesn't cry. Starts crying. Calls another pastor. He's at a different, he's in North County. Called the pastor there and the dude, I don't know who this pastor is, but he nailed it. He doesn't know Mike real well, but I'm like, what did he say to you? Because Mike told him what was going on. He's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm just the jury. And the guy goes, yeah, you need to repent. That was his counsel. You need to repent. The, the Lord's only giving you a few times. He's only going to do this a few times. If you don't listen, bad stuff. Repent. And Mike's like, all right. <laughs> Thank God that pastor wasn't willy-nilly wanting to, like, I don't want to hurt his feelings. Bro, you need to repent. He repented and went home, confessed to his wife. Wife prayed over him. Change the whole family, wife, uh, then the Holy Spirit convicted him. You treated Brian like trash years ago. Came back, thanked me for being the exam- It might be five years, it might be 10 years, but you're doing it because you're entrusting yourself. That is sacrificial love. Would that change the way you do relationships? Would that change the way you treat people that you don't like or you even consider your enemies? When you say, I'm not going to love you by how you treat me. I'm going to love you by how God has already treated me. Check this out. If you have the love of Jesus and he's forgiven all your sins, then who cares what people think? What more do you need from them if you have everything from him? But if you don't have everything from God, you're going to expect it from other people. And the problem is that people cannot fill the God-shaped hole in your heart. Only Jesus can. This is how we're ending Luke. This is how Luke wanted to end it. This is the power of the cross. Just for a few minutes, can we bathe in the verses that really define love? This is Jesus speaking, and then the letters. Look at how love is defined, and compare it with how you're loving right now to see if God wants to shift you over and making sure that, that you are really reflecting Him. Well, well first of all, John 13, 34-35 says this, A new command I give to you, love one another as they love you. Is that what your Bible says? Oh, that's weird. Okay. Let me, no, let me read the real one. Love one another as you feel like loving. Is that what your Bible says? I don't know. Okay. How about this? Love one another as I have loved you. He says if you're a Christian, if you consider yourself a Christian, and just so you know, Luke has been more about convicting Christians than convicting people that aren't Christians. Because what Jesus wants to make sure is two things. If you're not a Christian, that you understand what it means to be saved. You don't make that up. But two, if you think you're saved, that you really are, and you're not deceiving yourself. That's why, that's why the life of Jesus was lived out and why they wrote about him, okay? And so he's saying a new command is that now you love based off how God has loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How do people know if you're a Christian? Because you love like Jesus, not how you want or feel like loving Parents, I want to encourage you, if you're reading your Bible with your kids you're doing devotions, sometimes it's the pinnacle of Christianity. Like, oh, I do devotions. It means nothing if you can't live it out the next day. If you're screaming at them, you're calling them names. If sports to you is bigger than their love for Jesus, and you cheer when they, shoot, when they make a goal or they do something like that, but missing church is okay, and you never talk about Jesus, your devotions mean nothing. Now, if you want to do your devotions with a house that's living out love, beautiful. Go for it. But a disciple is known by the way they love, not the way they study the Bible. A disciple is known by if they love like Jesus rather than if they know a lot about Jesus. John 17, 25 through 26. This is the prayer of Jesus. Look at the prayer of Jesus. This is his last prayer before he dies. Prayer, big prayer, important prayer. He says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them. So the life of Jesus, just so you know, makes you known to God the Father. If you know Jesus, you know exactly how God the Father thinks and acts. And he says, I have made made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The goal of Jesus is to save you, but also is to indwell in you. That's why the curtain torn too. No longer is God with us, he's in us. Now here's the thing, do you believe that? Do you understand that? That his goal is to indwell you, and then you reflect him, and you now continue his ministry and love the way he's loved. Forgive the way he's forgiven. Be patient the way he's been patient. Be truthful the way he's truthful. Be silent just like he's silent. Remember when the accusations came? Right? What did Jesus say to all these accusations when they're interrogating? Nothing. Why? The Father will defend me. So you don't have to go on your social media and defend everything. He's got me. Less stress. Put the phone down. Now I can go do other things. Why? God's got me. I don't have to worry. Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what do we learn about love? Love is proactive, not reactive. Love doesn't wait for someone to love them first. The love of God is first to act. I don't have to wait for someone, whether they're a stranger or whether they... I go. When the Spirit tells me to go. I go. And just, you know, when I talk about listening to the Spirit throughout the week, a lot of times we're listening to the Spirit like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I'm going to give you the great secret every day, what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Love. And so now he's going to give you, love this person, love that person. Hey, text this person. When you listen to the Holy Spirit, he will always lead you to love. When you're not listening to the Spirit, it'll usually be selfish. And when you start thinking all about you and your plans and your money and your, all that kind of stuff, that's usually not from the Spirit. Just so you know. The Spirit is not all about you. It's not all about you. It's all about Jesus. So love is proactive, not reactive. The last verse, that I want to look at Romans 12, 9 through 11, really challenges us with this. Love must be sincere. Okay, now he's going to define sincerity. Real, sincere is real. It's not manufactured. It's not fake. What's sincere, godly love? Hate what is evil. Did you catch that? Love includes hate. Is that weird to anybody? Right? Usually that's a paradox. Wait, I don't, I don't hate anything because I'm full of love. No, you actually lack love if you love evil. If evil in the world, you're like, eh, as long as it doesn't happen to me, the love of God's not in you because true love hates evil. Why? Because evil destroys and divides. And love builds and unites. So yeah, it bothers me. And it's okay for me. I have righteous anger when I see evil. I see kids being trafficked. I see lies. I see the powerful demolishing the poor. I see those things and it's okay. Now I can't let my heart be filled with hate, but love doesn't enjoy or embrace those things. It hates those things, right? And it doesn't want those in a relationship. It doesn't want those in a family. It doesn't want those at work. Love must be sincere. So sincere love hates what is evil, clings to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Devoted. I don't give up on marriage. I don't give up on my kids. I don't give up on friendships. I might set boundaries, but I don't give up. I keep praying for them. Keep encouraging. Might set boundaries, but I don't give up. I'm devoted. Honor one another above yourselves. Sincere love looks at people saying, you know what? Honor them. You first on the freeway. I don't need to go 10 miles an hour faster and then cut you off and then back off. When we leave this church, we should just let every car go before we get out of this parking lot. Just keep going. That's what, honor them. Yield to them rather than be first. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor and check this out, sincere love by serving the Lord. The sincere love is actually God-focused and people-implemented. It's not people-focused. Love is, it's sincere love is out of service to the Lord, not out of insecurity for someone to like me. Luke 20, 9.23, we studied this passage a few months ago, but I want to remind you of this. When it comes to the cross and sacrificial love, this imagery Jesus says this whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their what cross daily and follow me the cross symbolizes the sacrifice the sacrificial love the cross symbolizes though obedience to god service to him implemented by loving and forgiving others that were being hateful right What Jesus says is every day, not one time, not when you were a kid, you got baptized, or you you prayed a prayer 10 years ago. You know what a Christian does every day we wake up? We say, sacrifice my desires, my wants, my demands, my expectations. I got to nail them to the cross. Jesus, get rid of me. Remind ourselves, die to yourselves, and go show sacrificial love, but out of service to Jesus, not out of their expectations. That's the life of a Christian. This is how Luke ends. Because he says what Jesus did is now what he expects of us. And we'll implement in different ways. We got right teachers, administrators, construction workers, and things like that. And God's love needs to get into all those areas. But he's sending you, he's sending you as a representative of him, not of yourself. This is how Luke ends. This is what it means to be a Christian. We lack spiritual influence when we resist sacrificial love. You want to know why the church right now is very ineffective at reaching people for Jesus? Not because we need more events. What the world needs to see is that we're completely different from them. We love different, we act different. And how you, just like that centurion that changed his mind, he saw the sacrifice of Jesus. You will have great spiritual influence in people's lives when you reveal sacrificial godly love to them. And this is why we take communion. We're going to sing some amazing worship songs. We're about to, it's about to go off. It's going to be good, okay? But here's the thing. These words tie in, and this is why we take communion every week. Why do we do this? I hope it doesn't become like, Oh, no, 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 this reminds us, oh yeah, this is what my life's about. That it's not about me, and I'm going to spill blood in this life. I'm going to lose. People might not like me, but I'm going to trust myself to God, and that eventually they're going to be like, ah, oh, they were loving me, and that will change their lives. So the worship team, would you guys come on up, and um, I would like to pray for a blessing upon you guys. If you've never made that commitment to Jesus sometimes, it's just like, well, what do I do? I have these feelings, things like that. You know what you do is you just say, Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. You receive his love. And then you trust him and follow as he guides you through the Bible and through other Christians on how to love. And so just take communion today and just thanking God for what he's done for you, through you, and in you. So Jesus, God, I pray that the cross would never get old to us. It wouldn't become some symbolism thing of a necklace where it's a cool tattoo or it's kind of like this chic thing. It was an instrument of death. It was an instrument made to demolish people, but it could not keep you in the grave. Three days later, you would rise again because you trusted your father. And God, I pray that we would rise again in you, that we would understand that we have an eternal purpose here and we don't walk on our own strength, we don't walk on our own love, but we walk in you and that you promise to fill us, to lead us, to guide us as we obey you. Gotta pray that every single person here from the youngest to the oldest would have the, the, the indwelling of the Spirit just like the temple did. And the Holy Spirit would not be about their lives and them being selfish, but would compel them to be loving. Compel us to the scriptures to understand love. Compel us to other Christians to encourage one another in love. Compel us, God, to people that don't know, they have not grown up in a peaceful, safe, loving environment that we would show them that kind of love, a devoted love, a sincere love, God. And may our church be powerful, never by our programs, but by our sacrificial love. We worship you now, speak to us, fill us, God, and prepare us for this week. In your name, Jesus, amen. I hope that today just makes you appreciative and really frees you up. All the pressures of life And boils down to this. Uh, we're going to live this life and you stand before one person. And it's not who you're married to. It's not your kids. It's not people you work with. Whatever the opinions they are mean zero. It's all about if God says, oh, I know who you are. Oh, yeah, yeah. You allowed my love into your heart. And then you love me back. Oh, I know you. And then forever with him in a place where love is just pure, good. That's what we're shooting for. But our world needs to see that now. We bring that now. We bring eternity now into our world. And so I hope it simplifies it. I hope that this week, every day when you wake up, don't forget, crucify yourself. Crucify yourself and let Jesus live through you. And I guarantee you're going to have a great day. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to gotoaccesschurch.com.